Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 19, What Other People Think About You. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's been a while since I put out an episode. Things have been a little crazy around here, as I'm sure they have been for you. Uh, but we're on the home stretch as far as school goes, which is it's a good feeling. Um, but it's been nice to have some sort of structure to our days. Not sure what we're going to do when they don't have teachers to answer to. Maybe we'll get some house and yard projects going to keep them busy. We'll figure it out. But hopefully we won't be quite so restricted um, in a few weeks. We're in California, so we're a little slower opening up than some other states are. But we'll see where we are in a month or so from now. (laughs) So today I wanted to talk to you about a concept that has really changed the way I see myself, um, how I see other people, and even my my level of confidence, I'd say. So you probably know from the title of this episode that we are talking today about other people's opinions of us. And I need to throw in a little disclaimer here. I know that on some level, it's good to be aware of and concerned about what other people think, what their opinions and feelings are. And we certainly don't want to blow all that off and act like none of it matters. Um, I think there is a healthy way to consider and take into account other people's opinions of us, but there are also very unhealthy ways to do this. And I think you know if you're in the unhealthy range by how you're feeling. Um, Are you finding yourself slipping into feelings of resentment or um, loneliness or rejection or low self-worth? Do you tiptoe around others in an attempt to control their perceptions of you? Or are you only letting them see the parts of you that you think they would like? Are your behaviors geared toward people-pleasing? Are you overly concerned with wanting people to be happy with you? And do you take on the responsibility for other people's emotions and opinions of you? Do you find yourself paralyzed and not taking action because you're afraid of failing and looking bad in front of others? Um, And do you question your own worth and think that, well, if this person would invite me to do something or if that person would just compliment me or even notice me, then I would feel approval and validation. If you're feeling, um, if you're experiencing these feelings or something similar, you might want to take a look at the power you are giving to other people's opinions in your life. And this is something that I've struggled with quite a bit. And looking back in hindsight, of course, I can see that I spent a good part of my life worrying way too much about what other what others thought of me. And I kind of always thought I was the only one who struggled with this, especially as a kid. Um, I thought that I was especially insecure and lacking in self-confidence. I think I mentioned in another episode that I was voted most shy of my eighth grade class, which my kids think is absolutely hilarious and humiliating all at the same time. Luckily, I survived somehow. So obviously, I wasn't the only one who was aware of my shy, reserved personality, but it's not like I was choosing to be shy. I wanted to have friends and be social. And again, looking back, um, I can see that my quiet, self-conscious ways were actually just a manifestation of a very deep struggle with insecurity and feeling like I didn't fit in or belong um, and that I wasn't good enough for people to want to be friends with. And um, I really did think that I was the only one who felt this way Um, and that I was the only one who felt... Um, left out not confident enough to speak up or participate in a conversation or reach out to other kids and I don't know if it was a feeling of unworthiness but it kind of felt like this uncertainty I definitely didn't see or value my own strengths as an individual and I had a really hard time believing that anyone would really think that I was worth their time or want to hang out with me 
So about a year and a half ago, a couple of my kids um, who are big into Broadway plays and music, they really wanted to go see Dear Evan Hansen. So when it was um, playing here locally, I got tickets for myself and my teenagers to go see it. Um, Little side note here, the play is not really G or even PG rated. I was a little shocked by some of the language and references. I know, Broadway, I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, But my kids assured me that it was no different than what they heard all day at high school. So they have a little bit thicker skin than I do with that stuff for sure. So thought I'd throw that in there, FYI. So we went to see this play, and I would say that the audience was made up of probably 70% teenagers and 30% parents and adults, which really wasn't a surprise, but just showed how much this show was geared toward and resonated with these teens. And I won't go into the whole story or spoil anything for you, but it's about a boy in high school who struggles with some insecurity, um, some of these feelings we've been talking about. He doesn't know if anybody really sees him or care um, whether he even exists. And there was one part where this character, Evan, had experienced a series of really tough blows and was talking about how lonely he felt and how he just wanted to be seen and loved and accepted. And um, as he was talking, I started to notice a few sniffles in the audience and then a few more and then some more. And then pretty soon, it was like stereo surround sound sniffles from all of these teenagers and, and some of the adults, I'm sure, as well, who were totally relating to this character and his desire Um, to feel accepted and important and loved. And I don't think there were many dry eyes in the theater after that, which shows that this is kind of a universal feeling that we all experience in our lives. And my kids and I talked about this afterward, how um, we all feel that way. It's a basic human need, um, right? To have connection with others. But sometimes the way we go about it isn't always the best way. And we can end up kind of sabotaging ourselves if we put all of the responsibility for our feelings of acceptance and connection into other people's hands. And so that was kind of an interesting experience again of how we can think that we're the only ones who feel a certain way, but that giant theater full of sniffling teenagers and adults was just kind of proof to me that this is something that we all struggle with to some degree or another. And so these feelings were pretty consistent for me growing up. Um, They really kept me from reaching out to others, from being receptive when other people reached out to me. They kept me from taking healthy risks and and kept me from pursuing things that I was interested in because I was terrified of failing in front of other people. For example, I really like sports. I always had a lot of fun playing soccer or basketball or tennis with my dad and my brothers, but when it came to actually trying out for sports in high school, no way was I going to risk making a mistake and looking dumb and having people not like me or be mad at me because of it. And I just assumed that's what would happen. Um, So I was never willing to take that risk. Uh, I finally did run cross country my junior year of high school because at the time it was a no-cut sport and I figured that was pretty safe. I could just blend in and no one would really notice me. And it worked and that was pretty much the extent of my experience with high school sports. And I look back now and realize what I missed out on because of my insecurities and worries about people judging me or being disappointed in me. So it's funny sometimes we tiptoe around other people trying only to show our good side or do everything perfectly um, so that they will like us. But I've learned that pleasing everyone that's not really ever going to happen. No matter how much you try, you will never be able to make everyone like you or be happy with you. And learning how to be okay with that is huge. I wish so much that I would have known and believed that when I was younger, that some people aren't going to like me or think that I'm great and it means nothing about me. It's totally about them and their own personalities and perspectives and experiences. And it's taken a lot of work for me to really believe that and to have my own back when I'm criticized or when someone doesn't like me and to know that if someone misjudges me or my actions or my intentions, that's okay too. I don't have to believe that they're right. I don't need anyone else's permission to think that I'm worthy or loved or a good person. 
it sounds so simple and obvious, right? But I think that it's one thing to say logically that, yeah, other people's opinions don't matter, but it's another thing to really believe, um, to really believe that and to apply it um, to the different areas of our lives. And this is something I work with teenagers on a lot, just letting go of that need to have other people's permission to accept and approve of and think highly of themselves. To learn to have your own back is really one of the first big steps um, towards true confidence. So needless to say, I feel very strongly about this subject. And one of my biggest goals with coaching is to really help women and girls, especially teens, really break those cycles of people pleasing and shame and feelings of not being enough because they can be very damaging and keep us from loving and connecting and contributing and living our best lives. So while we won't ever fully rid ourselves of caring about what others think, there is definitely a healthy way to take other people's opinions into account and an unhealthy way. So I wanted to take a look at this today and I'm going to share some things that have been helpful for me um, in getting on top of this tendency and building more confidence from within. Okay, so first of all, why do we even care what other people think of us? Why are we so concerned about others' opinions and judgments about ourselves, our decisions, our actions? Well, there are a couple of reasons I want to talk about today, and I think it's helpful to look at what the kind of science and psychology side says about this and then take a look at it from um, kind of a more spiritual perspective. Um, And I think they're both true. And as I've said before, for me, looking at the kind of the science side and the religious side of it to get um, and putting the two together brings um, more truth and more clarity than either one does on its own. So first of all, um, we've talked a little bit about how we have this mortal human brain um, that has been pre-wired with primal instincts designed, first of all, to keep us alive um, and also to, you know, keep our species going. And these instincts have been key to our survival as a species for for as long as humans have walked the earth. So this includes an instinct to watch out for danger, to be on guard, to to notice things that might be a threat to our well-being or survival. And they were especially useful in a time when humans faced a lot of physical threats, right? They lived, um, humans lived in proximity with wild animals and predators were probably a daily concern. Our ancestors um, didn't have the means or knowledge to build the nice, safe, comfortable homes we have today. And they were certainly more susceptible to um, like dangerous weather conditions, um, extreme cold and heat and you know natural disasters. They were solely reliant on themselves to produce their own food, didn't have grocery stores back then, right? And maybe they even had to worry about being attacked by other humans, um, enemies, other tribes, things like that, right? So these instincts were actually essential for their physical well-being and survival. Another aspect of living um, in those conditions is that being included in a group was also very important in order for them to thrive and survive. In a world with so many physical threats and dangers, no one really wanted to go it alone or get left behind. So humans felt this vulnerability about being alone, which might explain why we are so afraid now of being left out or ignored or rejected by others. Okay, so fast forward to our time. The survival instinct that served our ancestors very well has actually shifted, and now we feel like we have to have other people's acceptance and approval and inclusion in order for us to feel emotionally safe, to feel validated, in order to accept and value ourselves, right? And this kind of desperate need for acceptance or the fear that we won't be accepted can really be a fuel for some of the anxiety and depression and insecurity and codependence that has become um, kind of the default for so many of us. So that's what the science tells us about why we're so concerned as humans about our desire um, to look out for trouble and to have this kind of heightened sense of concern about being excluded or left out. 
So what do we know from the gospel or spiritual perspective about why we care so much about what other people think? Well, I believe that the adversary is really good at taking our natural man tendencies, those kind of human drives and instincts, right, and uses them to attack us spiritually. So he can take the primitive emotion of fear, um, the fear of being excluded or rejected, and suggest to us that these feelings are a problem and somehow a reflection of our own worth. He might try to convince us that um, if someone is disappointed in us or doesn't like us, that means that we're unlovable or that we're not enough or that something's wrong with us. When really, like we talked about, another person's opinion of you is really about them, right? Um, It means nothing about your value as a person. But the adversary doesn't want us to believe that. He convinces us that other people's opinions of us do matter, that they do determine our importance or our lovability or our worthiness as humans. So let me tell you about a little experience where um, my perspective on this started to shift a little bit. One day a few years ago, um, I decided I wanted to better understand those awesome Isaiah chapters in 2 Nephi. Those of you familiar with the um, beginning of the Book of Mormon know what I'm talking about. So um, I got myself a commentary on the Book of Isaiah and started reading. And there's always been some wording in one of these chapters which has kind of caught my attention. So in 2 Nephi 13, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 3, we hear about the daughters of Zion. And the Lord is kind of rebuking them for being haughty or arrogant. And this is quoting the scripture, walking with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. Well, what on earth did that mean? (laughs) I looked up that verse in my handy little Isaiah commentary and I was surprised. I was kind of surprised by the explanation. It said, this expression portrays women who look sideways to see if others notice their beauty as they prance along the way. It denotes um, a people who pay idolatrous heed to others rather than to God above. And I remember reading that and thinking, wait, he's basically saying that it's a sin to be preoccupied with what others think about us. And I know these verses are probably referring to more to women who are trying to get attention in an immoral way, but to me, in my struggle with worrying about others' opinions, it was kind of a reality check, and I really started to think about this concept and study it, and um, I found that for me, it was actually a form of pride, an unhealthy form of pride, to care too much about what other people thought of me. Um, Some of you are probably familiar with President um, Ezra Taft Benson's landmark address given years ago in general conference on the subject of pride. Um, And he addresses different kinds of pride and actually talks about this. He says, the proud stand more in fear of men's judgment than of God's judgment. What will men think of me weighs heavier than what will God think of me? Fear of men's judgment manifests itself in a competition for men's approval. When pride has a hold on our hearts, we lose our independence of the world and we deliver our freedoms to the bondage of men's judgment. The proud depend on the world to tell them whether they have value or not. So President Benson's talk was all about the sin of pride and how it affects our lives um, often without our even knowing it. Now, I know this sounds kind of harsh, and maybe you're thinking, really? It's a sin to worry about other people's opinions of me? But stay with me here. Let's dive into this a little bit more. So first of all, what even is sin? We generally think of sin as being bad. It's associated with shame, with judgment from God and from others. And sometimes we get the idea that when we sin, we've done something horribly wrong and we're just not a good person. But is that really how we should feel about it? So M. Catherine Thomas, who is an author and she was a professor at BYU, had this to say about sin. To understand why sin produces bitterness in the human soul, we remember that each individual spirit was begotten by glorious heavenly parents and thereby inherits a nature that is at its very core light, truth, intelligence, and glory. 
So here, in this life, we have a challenging situation. A person whose primeval or spiritual nature is light and truth and purity begins, under the influence of a fallen environment and a fallen body, to act against his spiritual nature. His sins of ignorance or choice produce bitterness, and he begins to suffer. But usually, he doesn't know what the real source of his unhappiness is. He thinks it has something to do with the people around him, or he thinks it has something to do with his circumstances. Interesting, right? So she goes on to explain that living against our spiritual natures produces feelings of guilt, despair, resentment, self-pity, fear, um, victimization, scarcity, jealousy, and other forms of stress. So our sins, whether we're fully aware of what we were doing or not, cause us to suffer because they put us in opposition to God's ways and to our true nature as his children. Another scripture, Alma 41.11, tells us that all men are in a carnal state and have gone contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. So it's in our spiritual DNA. Our spirits are essentially wired so that we experience peace and contentment and happiness when we are living in accordance with God's divine laws. So basically, a sin is anything that comes between us and our Heavenly Father. It's anything that separates us from Him and keeps us from knowing Him and feeling His Spirit. And often we think, when we think about sin, we think of um, immorality, dishonesty, um, drug or alcohol abuse, or other addictions. And we think, yeah, of course those things don't bring us happiness. Of course those things will cause suffering in our lives. But we sometimes overlook the smaller things that can create that distance from God, those tendencies of the natural man, like pride, comparison, jealousy, fear, scarcity, right? So we know this on some level. We believe and we're taught that um, when we keep the commandments, um, we will it will bring us happiness. We're told in the scriptures, in Mosiah 2.41, we're told to consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. And this is a wonderful promise, but I think that sometimes it can cause us some confusion because if we are making that direct connection between keeping the commandments and happiness, and we are keeping the commandments, um, then why aren't we happier? I've had people ask me this question and wonder why when they've done everything they were told to do, um, they've gone on their missions and gotten married in the temple and they're reading their scriptures and fulfilling their callings and doing their best to be good members of the church, why aren't they happier? Why aren't they as blessed as they think they should be? Well, I've experienced this and had these questions myself. And for me, the answer is that even though we might be checking off the list and doing all of the big things, right? Keeping the big commandments, sometimes we don't really notice the little things that trip us up. And for me, those subtle things were actually my biggest obstacles. They were the things that were keeping me from really understanding my worth and my value. And they were getting in the way of my personal relationship with my Heavenly Father. And so one of those obstacles was what I now understand to be a form of pride or worrying too much about what other people think of me, of caring more about what others thought of me than what I thought of myself or even what God thought of me. So I know this may not resonate with all of you, but for me, it was helpful to see that my insecurities and my lack of confidence and the feeling that I didn't belong weren't because I didn't have value or because I was flawed in some way or even because of other people. Those feelings were a product of my anxiety about um, pleasing people and wanting them to like me, which sounds right and good, right? My intentions weren't evil. They just weren't really aligned with what creates true confidence and peace. And so I think a good definition of sin is something that keeps us from really knowing and having a relationship with God and living up to our true potential. And this kind of pride was certainly doing that for me. 
So another thing I want to slip in here really quickly is that we need to rethink the idea that God is angry with us or disappointed in us when we sin. I believe that thought is straight from the adversary um, and that it's an attempt to drive an even bigger wedge between us and our Heavenly Father because that's his goal, right? To mess that relationship up. There's a book called The God Who Weeps by Terrell and Fiona Givens, and I like the way they talk about sin. It's, it's a much healthier, more productive view of it than I think the shame-filled ideas we tend to automatically jump to. So here's the little part that I really liked. God's concern with human sin is with the pain and suffering it produces. Sympathy and sorrow, not anger and vengeance, are the emotions we must look to in order to plumb the nature of divine response to sin. It is not the injured pride of a tyrant that we see here, but the pain of a suffering parent. So I could go on about this subject, and this is probably a great thing to dive into a little deeper in another episode, but for now, my whole point in sharing this with you is to explain what I mean when I say when I when I talk about pride being a sin. I don't say these things in a harsh, condemning way, but in the spirit of, yeah, this is something that gets in our way. That's something that keeps us from filling the spirit and really living up to our divine natures as God's children. And for me, this was so helpful because I kind of always felt like a victim. Like if people didn't like me or approve of me or if they criticized me, then I just couldn't feel good, let alone approve of myself or like myself. And that belief set me up for years of trying so hard just to get people um, to be happy with me, to win their love and respect. And it was kind of an awful feeling of desperation and needing that to feel good about and accept myself. And it was only when I learned that I didn't need other people's validation that I felt so much more peaceful and comfortable and confident in my own skin. And looking at it as an actual sin that was causing my suffering was actually really liberating to me. It meant that I had control of it, that I could stop thinking that way and see myself and other people in a totally different light. So Byron Katie said, taking responsibility for your beliefs and judgments gives you the power to change them. And I think that is what this perspective of my own pride being the problem did for me. It helped me to take responsibility for how I was feeling. And from that place, I had the power to change it. No one else had to change for me to feel better. And that's key because if we're relying on other people to change so that we can feel good about ourselves, that just doesn't work out so well. And I think also knowing that I could repent and have the help of the Savior and his atonement to take this weakness of mine and turn it around into a strength was huge for me. This was something that was so ingrained in me that I don't know if I really could have gotten on top of it on my own. And so that's really an amazing power that we have access to if we will use it and apply it um, in our individual struggles and weaknesses. And so what do we do with all this? Why is this important? Because in the end, it's not others who determine our worth, our value, our importance, our capacities. That is between us and God. And we already know what God thinks of us, right? If you don't know that, then I suggest you take the time to build that relationship with him and to find out what he really thinks of you. It's a powerful process. But it is so easy to slip into the belief that what other people do have the power to determine how we feel about ourselves, what opportunities we have, and whether or not we feel included, important, or loved. There's a talk given by Sister Patricia Holland um, at BYU. It was when um, her husband, um, Elder Holland, was serving as president of the university. And this talk has really been one of my very favorites for years now. And I wanted to share just a little bit of it with you. She talked about how ever since she was a young girl, she was absolutely terrified of public speaking. And she shares an experience she had um, when she and Elder Holland were asked to speak in state conference as newlyweds and how traumatizing it had been for her. But afterwards, she came across this scripture 
in Doctrine and Covenants 8867, which talks about having an eye single to God's glory. And this is what she had to say about it. She says, You see, my eye had been single all right, but it was focused on the glories from men. I was terrified of public speaking primarily because I was too concerned about what other people would think of me. It was a matter of vanity and pride and ego. But in that scripture, for a brief moment, I could see that inhibitions and fears and self-consciousness could be conquered if I stopped performing for the admiration of mortals and sought honestly and faithfully to glorify only God. She goes on to say, We all need a higher image of ourselves, but Satan would have us believe it comes totally from the praise of others, when in fact it comes from our relationship with God. A church leader whom I highly regard told me recently that in his earlier days he was preoccupied with trying to please the people of this church until in utter fatigue and confusion he decided instead to focus on pleasing God and letting God then worry about pleasing the people. This decision freed him to be who he really was and to find powers he didn't know he had. He said, for the first time in my life, I saw clearly my own divine potential. Isn't that beautiful? No wonder the adversary wants us preoccupied with the need to please others and excessive concern about what they think of us. He knows that doing so keeps us from clearly seeing our own divine potential. So don't be tricked by this. Don't believe the lies he's trying to sell you on. One of my all-time favorite children's books is You Are Special by Max Lucado. Most of you, I'm guessing, are probably familiar with it. If not, you need a copy of this book. I even bought one. I bought each of my kids their own copy, and they will all say it's their favorite, especially the teenagers. But this little story is all about other people's judgments and opinions and how we let them affect us. And it's also about our relationship with God and how nurturing that relationship can help us let go of worrying so much about what other people think and the need for their approval. It really is the most beautiful story. So go get it and read it and reread it if you already have it. Um, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I know I covered a lot of information today, but that's kind of the process that I went through to really overcome this tendency, the, the sin, if you will, of being overly concerned with what with people approving of me and liking me. So I hope this was helpful to someone out there. It really was kind of a different way of approaching this thing that so many people struggle with. But this approach helped me to see that I was the one calling the shots in my life and that my emotions and thoughts about myself were not in the hands of other people. Because in the end, even when we're being our best selves and trying our hardest to live a good life and to be a good person, <clears throat> there are going to be people who don't like us who and think we're doing it wrong. And I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Again, their opinion of you is much more about them than it is about you. Remember that. The more you look outside of yourself um, to determine your worth and your value and your sense of self, the more desperate and confused you will feel. And when you don't get that permission or validation you are seeking, that kind of leaves you stuck because what other choice do you have? If other people don't approve of you, how can you approve of yourself? You don't need others to tell you what to think or believe about yourself. You can feel confident and competent and important without anyone's approval or permission because real validation and self-worth comes from the inside. That's the secret that those genuinely confident people we all want to be more like understand, right? If you're the creator of your own confidence, if you can approve of and love and value yourself, that, my friends, is where real power comes from. Then you can free yourself from the fear of disapproval and rejection. You can move forward in your life with a love for yourself and for others that will change the way you show up in the world. I know this because I have experienced it. So I want to leave you with another quote from Byron Katie. She says, it's not your job to like me, it's mine. Believe that. Accept that responsibility. Make it your job to like you. It's a much happier way to live. 
If you would like help with this or any other area of your life, again, I have a couple of really amazing one-on-one coaching programs that can help you apply what you're learning here on this podcast. There is a lot of great information and content out there, but coaching helps you take it all to the next level and really apply it to your individual circumstance. So if you are interested in learning more about coaching and how it can help you, you can email me at Annette at MotherhoodElevated.com. That's A-N-N-E-T-T-E at MotherhoodElevated.com or DM me on Instagram um, at Annette underscore Motherhood Elevated. All right. I hope you have a great week. I will see you back again here soon. Take care. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to check out my website at MotherhoodElevated.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session to see what working with me looks like as well as find information on classes I offer or get on the list for some weekly inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's motherhoodelevated.com. Have a great week.